Welcome to the 94th episode of the First Take Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Gaddy Cartagena speaking with co-host Tyler Yarnell. Today we give some of our biggest winners and losers from the free agency period and talk about how some of these guys should be valued. What's up guys? Welcome back to the First Take Fantasy Football Podcast. So the majority of free agency is now in the books. There's really not many more big names left to be signed. Maybe a Leonard Fournette. James White actually just signed with the New England Patriots about five minutes ago. We're not waiting for too many more dominoes to fall. Um, and now we can get into some winners and losers. This is still obviously based on free agency, not the draft, not trades, because we don't know about any of that yet. But free agency, we do have actually a little bit of information, or at least enough information to make judgments on which players have gained or lost value over the last few weeks. With all that being said, I do want to start with free agency winners. Tyler, give me off the top of the head your first free agency winner. Yeah, I'm going to start with the guy over in New York, uh, Daniel Jones. Um, you know, obviously, Kenny Galladay just signed with the team about last week. So he finally gets his number one target, his his wide receiver one. And that, that just – it allows Darius Slayton to be a wide receiver two. Uh, which is what he's more fit to be in the NFL. Like he was asked to be a wide receiver one on the outside for, throughout his first two years of his career. And um, he's just not at that talent level. So it allows him to be more comfortable at the wide receiver too. Sterling Shepard can t- continue to be his role as, as the slot receiver. And Evan Ingram has been trusted as the number one target, but you know, he hasn't, he isn't, he doesn't have the consistency to be a number one target for Daniel Jones. So allowing him to be a number two, I think that him and Kenny Galladay can be a very nice duo. Um, it allows, it forces the defense to respect both very talented players and it just opens up better opportunities for the both of them. So overall, I think that this offense definitely gets an upgrade. Uh, you, you obviously have Saquon Barkley in the backfield and Daniel Jones has no excuses going into year three. He has everything in line for him. Like he has the wide receiver. He has the tight end. He has the running back, the running game. So we're really going to see, I think that if we're going to see whatever Daniel Jones's ceiling is, we're going to see it this year. Yeah, pretty much. Like you said, everything that I wanted to say, there is no excuses for Daniel Jones this year. That's, really the only way to put it even the offensive line they invested in it last year they got two they got a first their fourth overall pick in Andrew Thomas who had some good had some bad moments but even then tackles they will start to round into shape you'll find out who he is uh, a lot of over the next season and they also had a guard I believe that they drafted or a tackle that they drafted in round four who actually ended up being pretty serviceable um, and the defense is good I mean the Giants honestly are building a very good team uh, whether we want to admit it or not. But I do want to go to the divisional counterpart. The Washington football team, I thought, had one hell of an offseason. They got uh, William Jackson III, who's one of the more underrated corners. I touched on this a little bit when it was just me on the like knee-jerk free agency reactions. But I love the Washington football team's offense right now for fantasy purposes because there's a lot of cl- like clear, concrete roles, and there's a quarterback that will allow people to play into those roles. So Ryan Fitzpatrick whether you love him or not is objectively an upgrade over Alex Smith and whatever the hell Terry McLaurin has been playing with. He loves to throw the ball downfield. He does not care. He gives his guys a chance. Terry McLaurin, one of the best contested catch receivers, one of the faster deep threat receivers in the NFL. 
one of the best receivers in the NFL. He's truly a fantastic player. You're going to see wide receiver one, Terry McLaurin, this year. Uh, we got glimpses of that last year, but his quarterback play was so terrible that it was really tough. And you add in Curtis Samuel, who, in my opinion, can be a bona fide number two weapon. Maybe he's not going to be the clear-cut number two receiver, but he's going to be the number two weapon in this offense. He's going to play slot. He's probably going to play some pass catching back. He's going to play outside. He can move him all over the place. You can stack him with McLaurin, so you just have a deadly duo on the same side. And you also have Logan Thomas, who actually had a good tight end breakout. He looked like one hell of a tight end last year. Very, very serviceable player. Kind of reminded me of what Jared Cook was when he was with the Green Bay Packers. Um, like, you have talent on this offense now. And you have a clear-cut pecking order, I believe. It goes McLaren, Samuel, McLaren, McLaurin, Samuel, Thomas. And you obviously have Gibson in the backfield and McKissick if he's still there. They could maybe try to upgrade at quarterback in the draft. But, I mean, I'm looking at Terry McLaurin as a wide receiver one now because of everything that happened this offseason. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to have a chance to be to have some good games, but I don't think they're going to rely on him as much as they relied on him in Miami. And Curtis Samuel, I want to get your opinion on Curtis Samuel because obviously he sees a boost, but is he a top, say top 25 receiver now in fantasy? I can't say that confidently just because in this offense, uh, it's still headlined by, by Ryan Fitzpatrick at, at quarterback. And I think that Terry McLaurin, I agree with you, he's going to be that wide receiver one. But um, basically next, next in the pecking order, as far as touches, is going to be Antonio Gibson. So you're talking about Curtis Samuel being the third guy in this offense. Um, and obviously Logan Thomas is going to get his as well. Uh, J.D. McKissick is going to get his as well. So, I don't know. I'm not feeling completely, totally confident that he's a top 25 receiver in here. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of receiver depth overall. There always is every year. Um, I just think that there's other guys that have a high, better chance of finishing the top 25 than Curtis Samuel. Yeah, I agree. I don't think 20 top 25 is where Curtis Samuel belongs, but at the same time, I think his upside is within the top 25 and that's where the upside really, or that's where the, he, he's a winner in this whole free agency thing, because in Carolina, his upside was going to be capped on a weekly basis just because there's so many other options to go to with everybody healthy. Chris McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson. Um, like that's that alone is enough to keep anybody buried on the fantasy rankings. But in Washington, matchup dependent, let's say they're playing against a team that has a great number one corner. Maybe they don't target Terry McLaurin 10 times that game. Um, you know, it makes a lot of sense for Curtis Samuel to be a top 25 guy in selective weeks. Anyways, I do want to keep going here. Give me another guy. Give me a receiver that is a winner from this whole thing. I really like uh, the – well, I think that A.J. Brown is a winner for this offseason. You know, Corey Davis is gone with the the New York Jets, and that just opens up A.J. the opportunity for A.J. Brown to be – the wide receiver one that he's always been the past, like literally since he, he came into the league. Um, but, you know, he's going into year three. There's not going to be really any competition for tar- uh, targets on this team. Adam Humphreys is still there as, as a, as a slot receiver. But besides that, like it's going to be the AJ Brown show. It's like the, the offense is going to run through Derrick Henry, but when they're passing the ball, it's going to be going to A.J. Brown. And I really believe the talent in him. Like, I think that he can be a superstar in this league. And he's going to have all the opportunities to do so. So um, he was a little bit – he was hurt to begin the season last year, and I think that he was banged up throughout the season. 
But uh, I'm feeling very confident about A.J. Brown. I love the talent, and uh, he's going to get all the opportunities this year. Yeah, A.J. Brown is a beast. Like, he's one of the most fun players to watch in the NFL. He's legitimately insane uh, with run after catch, contested catch. In the playoffs, even, like, he was just making ridiculous plays up and down the field against the Ravens. He's just fun. I love A.J. Brown, the player. I'm happy that he's going to have all the opportunity. But at the same time, I do have a few question marks because there's a different offense. Uh, Maybe it's not going to be as play-action based, which could end up benefiting him. But I just don't know what his target ceiling might be. People have thrown around the number 160 for him this year. 150 and while I would love to see that I don't really know if he sees that huge of an increase in volume I also think they're going to be drafting receiver whether it's the first round or the second round and that guy will be a full-time starter Uh, they did sign Josh Reynolds so if it's just Josh Reynolds AJ Brown definitely can hit 150 but I think Josh Reynolds is going to be their third receiver Um, without Johnny Smith I think they're going to go to more 11 personnel use the slot use the outside receiver and use AJ Brown a little bit more. I just wonder how much more that is going to be. Um, but yeah, he's definitely a winner. Like he's at least going to see 130 targets. And with AJ Brown, 130 targets is more than enough for him to be a wide receiver. One, it is more than enough for him to be a top five wide receiver. If he sees 160, then you're talking about the wide receiver one overall, which is in his range of outcomes this season, which is why AJ Brown is going to be such a good draft pick even if it is in like the second round. Um, I do want to talk about actually his former teammate in Corey Davis. Some people didn't like the New York Jets landing spot. I personally disagree. I think he has the chance to either be the number one or be a really solid number two, depending on Denzel Mims development this season. And he's still staying in a play action offense, which allows him to get downfield on those in-breaking routes where we know Corey Davis is actually good. So I could see a scenario in which Corey Davis is a 130 target guy with whatever rookie quarterback they have. Um, If it's Zach Wilson, assuming it's Zach Zach Wilson, he's the odds on favorite. I actually like that fit. I think Zach Wilson would really like playing with the safety blanket of Corey Davis. And then if Denzel Mims develops, then great. He has two great receivers, but Corey Davis is a damn good receiver in the NFL. I don't think he gets enough credit for how good he really was last year. He's really come into his own. And it remains to be seen if he can be a number one receiver, but I think in New York, he will at least have the opportunity to do so. And a number one receiver in the NFL, um, that's probably more than what Corey Davis has been worth for his entire career. And there's a little bit of uncertainty, obviously, because he's changing offenses, but he's still going into a zone run scheme, play action based offense, which is important for Davis. I think that is probably his best bet. He doesn't have to worry about linebackers. He can get underneath safeties and over the linebackers. It just makes a lot of sense for Corey Davis to play in a, uh, for a team like New York. And I mean, that target volume could also be 130 targets, which is what you want in fantasy. So I like the landing spot for Corey Davis. I think he also is another guy that could have weekly top 25 upside, uh, if not higher. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, you know, looking at his, his season last, last year, he, uh, he was on pace for 105 targets, but uh, 1125, yards 1125 and uh six touchdowns over uh six over a 16 game pace so um he if he hadn't missed a couple of games over uh because of the COVID list um he would have been on track for a pretty solid season probably that probably puts him in like the 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 top 25 of uh receivers if he wasn't there already but um you know going into new york the 
the Jets offense, I think that he's just going to have more opportunity to, to get more of a target share there. Um, like you said, the, the rookie quarterback is, is probably going to be put in place. I don't see Sam Darnold being the guy um, come training camp or come like a month from now, because I, I think that he's going to get moved and they're eventually going to take a quarterback at that number two spot. But overall, he's going into a more uh, pass heavy offense. I think that even with uh, Michael Floor coming in and uh, bringing the offense that, that he did from, from San Francisco, he's the passing game coordinator for the, for, for the 49ers. So I think that they're going to be passing more than what the, the Titans did last year. So I, I, I think I feel pretty good about Corey Davis. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you mentioned Curtis Samuel a, a couple minutes ago. I want to, I want to know like, who would you take between those two in Corey Davis or Curtis Samuel? I would take Corey Davis. I think he is the better player. Um, Curtis Samuel is obviously more versatile. He's one hell of a weapon, but I think straight up as a receiver, I think Corey Davis has more potential and tools that align with what a prototypical fantasy wide receiver one looks like and plays like as opposed to Curtis Samuel who is someone that he's I don't think he will ever be the alpha on his team um Terry McLaurin is far superior to him as a player and it's a good duo that they have but with Corey Davis he could be the number one guy so I will take the the potential upside of Davis uh as opposed to the exciting talent that is Curtis Samuel but I like both of them like they're both solid yeah, I agree. Um, it just comes down to Corey Davis. Obviously, he's more talented, but um, he just doesn't have that roadblock on, on his team that is Terry McLaurin. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And he also probably will be playing with the better quarterback. Um, I love Ryan Fitzpatrick, but there's a reason he's been a journeyman and no one really keeps him. Uh, you're looking at a potential franchise quarterback at number two for the Jets. It's a very great quarterback draft, whether it's Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, whoever it may be. Um, these guys have a great chance to be fantasy, or franchise quarterbacks, and that alone helps a guy like Corey Davis over Curtis Samuel. Um, speaking of franchise quarterback, the New England Patriots' current franchise quarterback, Cam Newton, I actually do want to talk about him because, listen – they might draft – they're setting things up to draft a rookie quarterback, and pretty much everybody in this offense was a loser from this offseason, uh, except maybe Damian Harris. But Cam Newton has weapons now, and he has a great offensive line. It's the same thing with Daniel Jones where there's no excuses, and I'm not expecting Cam to be this world-beating quarterback, but you can't be as bad as you were last year. Um, and last year he was serviceable for fantasy for a lot of weeks. There's rushing touchdowns. If the passing just becomes at least league average, then you're probably looking at a top 10 fantasy quarterback, which is crazy to say, but that's really where we're at with Cam. Um, he's just, he can score 10 plus touchdowns on the ground alone. And that is a huge advantage in a lot of leagues. And then if he's able to get maybe 15 to 20 passing touchdowns, as opposed to like five, then <laughs> you're looking at a fantasy quarterback. That's actually could be pretty relevant. Um, they added Hunter Henry. They added John U. Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. Not sure if Nikhil Harry is still going to be there. They have Jacoby Myers. James White just resigned today. I mean, they're setting this up so any quarterback would be able to succeed in the situation that Cam is currently in. And if Cam cannot succeed in that situation, then maybe it is the end of the line for him. Uh, but we'll, we'll end up seeing what happens. They are going to draft a rookie quarterback, or I would assume they are. So I wouldn't go all in on Cam. 
But if you're at the end of your drafts, whether it's dynasty, super flex, rookie draft, whatever they're not rookie draft, uh, redraft, whatever the hell it may be, Cam Newton is probably going to be a guy that will have pretty solid upside uh, for eight weeks to the entire season, maybe the entire season, depending on which rookie quarterback they draft. I think there's a chance he finishes as a QB one and if you're going to get a huge discount on him because not everybody liked what they saw from him last year. So I like the idea of taking cam as like your second or third quarterback really, really late. Yeah. My thing with cam is I'm not necessarily sure if he does finish the season, especially if they go and. Oh no. If they draft a quarterback, I don't think he will. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of split on Cam because what we saw last year was actually horrendous. Like uh, I don't think I don't think you would disagree on that. I don't think anybody would disagree on that. Like he finished with eight passing touchdowns and ten interceptions. Granted, he had a lot of uh, touchdowns on the ground, but like when you when you watched him as a passer, it just wasn't very pretty. I know that Hunter Henry and John Smith can definitely help with that. I don't think that they really had a receiving tight end on their roster last year, but. Um, like it's still Cam Newton. Like he, like the talent, he's been very talented. He he's, he's passed the ball very uh, relatively well throughout his career. It, it just seemed like last year was possibly his worst year as a passer. Um, so I'm a little bit skeptical about that, but as far as the rushing ability, like it's still there. Um, I think he finished with 10 rushing touchdowns last year, if I'm not mistaken, but um yeah, like he, he can still be a very fantasy relevant quarterback. We definitely saw that in the beginning of the season where he was stringing together some very good games because of the, the, the rushing ability that he had. Like he nearly won them the game against uh, Seattle. I think it was week four. And um, he still finished uh, with a very nice fantasy outing. So it's just a matter of getting that, that passing game down. If he can do better than a negative uh, or less than one touchdown to interception ratio, I think that he can have a, uh, a pretty solid fantasy season. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very cheap pick. Like you're not investing pretty much anything at this point into cam, but I think his outlook is definitely better now than it was a few weeks ago. So we'll ca- we'll categorize him as a winner. Um, give me a running back. Who's a running back that actually is a winner in your eyes. Aaron Jones. Like I think that it's his clear cut. Um, you know, we were looking at him pre-free agency, likely going into a situation that wasn't as ideal as it was in Green Bay. You know, they were treating him. It was it was like a it was a committee approach, but like Aaron Jones was getting every single valuable touch that was possible. Um, and obviously, as talented as he is in the offense that he is, like he made the most of it. So he was very fantasy relevant. I think that he finished top five this past season. And I don't think either of us believe there was a situation that was better than Green Bay. So obviously he ended up re-signing with them. Uh, I think that two out of the four years are guaranteed on his contract. So he's probably going to stay there for two more years. And uh, if you're looking at dynasty, like you can't really look beyond that. Those two years, maybe another year past that. But um, I mean, if you're dynasty owner for Aaron Jones, if you're looking to target him in a redraft, league like you should feel pretty good about uh, drafting Aaron Jones or uh, possibly trading for him because he's still in this very good offense Um, he's working with Aaron Rodgers right now Devontae Adams is the best receiver in the game right now 
um, they're still in a very good offense and they're going to continue to do, to do so uh, in 2021. So I feel very, very good about Aaron Jones going into next season. And uh, I think that he's still in the best situation there is for him. Yeah, he's, I mean, there's no better situation than Green Bay. They have Aaron Rodgers, they have Matt LaFleur, they have, although they did lose Corey Lindsley, they have a pretty solid offensive line. Um, the center position is probably one of the more replaceable positions uh, on the offensive line as opposed to a tackle. They're getting David Bakhtiari back. The Green Bay Packers are a damn good football team, and Aaron Jones is a damn good running back. It's just a match made in heaven, honestly. His workload is maybe going to go down a little bit with A.J. Dillon being there. Maybe he gets a few less red zone touches. But like you said, those touches are really valuable. I could see them using him more as a receiver, too, with A.J. Dillon being there. You run those two back sets, and you have some positional versatility with Aaron Jones. I think Matt LaFleur signed him not only to play running back, but also to play a little bit of receiver. He's one hell of a receiving back. And this is a good situation for Aaron Jones. Like, he didn't lose any value re-signing in Green Bay. And that's what you really wanted to see. He, it would be too unknown anywhere else to know his role, to know what the potential fit would be. But we know exactly what we're getting in Green Bay. So, yeah, you have to feel confident if you have Aaron Jones for at least the next two seasons. And, I mean, maybe if you want to sell him in the middle of this season, if you're not really contending, go ahead and do so because he's going to be 26, I believe. But he's a good running back and he's staying in a good situation. Can't really ask for much more. I did want to touch on this one other running back really quick. Chase Edmonds. Now, Chase Edmonds, Kenya Drake left, and Cliff Kingsbury, for some reason, has had the biggest crush on Chase Edmonds. And I'm going to, this is a bit of a nuanced approach because I like Chase Edmonds, the player. I think he would be solid as a running back this season. But at the same time, if I have Chase Edmonds on my fantasy football roster, I would be looking to sell him. And here is why he's 25. I don't think he's ever seen a workhorse role. He's maybe had two games of it and he's gotten injured at times. He's never really been the, the workhorse. So right now there is this preconceived notion that he's going to be the workhorse because of what Cliff Kingsbury has said. And because of, I guess, Kenyon Drake not being on the roster, this team is really good. I don't think they're going to go into the season with just Chase Edmonds as their, as their best running back. Um, whether it's Travis Etienne, Javante Williams, Trey Sermon, th there are running backs to get that can fill that either 1A or 1B role in this offense. I think Chase Edmonds will at some point be stuck in part of a committee. Maybe he's a lead back, maybe he isn't, but I don't see him going into the season as the full-on workhorse. So I would look to sell him right now if you can. Depends on what price you can get. Um, Tyler, what would you look for in return? Obviously, being someone that owns Chase Edmonds in Dynasty, uh, what would you look for in return for Chase Edmonds? Or are you even looking to sell him right now? I mean, I'm definitely looking to sell him. Um, yes, the the I think it was the GM that came out and talked about Chase Edmonds. Um, and it sounded like a vote of confidence for him. But, I mean, we, we've seen Chase Edmonds as the workhorse only, only a few times um, throughout the past few seasons. And it's been on a uh, very limited game to game basis. So it, I don't think that they trust him as a workhorse throughout the season. Um, I think that they're definitely planning on taking one of these running backs because like, why not? Like why, why trust uh, Chase Edmonds as your single running back with Eno Benjamin, who's I have no <laughs> confidence in Eno Benjamin, just to put that out there. Um like, why do that when you can go get another running back and kind of fill in that, that running back depth just by drafting a running back? Um, doesn't have to be in the first round. 
might not even have to be in the second round. Like you can, you can get that done and it just makes your offense so much better. Uh, just having that depth. If I were, I am an owner of uh, Chase Edmonds in uh, one of our dynasty leagues, I would definitely be looking for an RB two um, of any sorts, low RB two, mid RB two, high RB two, just because like, I, I feel very good about um, whatever running back that is to, to return more value than, than what Chase Edmonds would be. Um, preferably I would look to package him with another guy, maybe a young, uh, maybe another receiver or something and try to package him to get into maybe that higher B2, lower RB1 conversation. I think that that's the most ideal, um, situation kind of, um, consolidate your assets and turn them into a better player. Uh, Chase Edmonds value is as high as it's ever going to be in my opinion. And I think that this is a, is a good time to kind of jump on that and take advantage of it and uh, turn them into a player that you wouldn't be able to acquire otherwise. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I think Chase Edmonds right now is just a less proven version of Miles Gaskin, of which I also have zero faith because I just believe it makes so much sense for the front office to invest in a running back at a cheap contract for the next four years with a draft pick, whether it is, uh, second round, third round, someone is going to come for them. So, yeah, I, I don't really have much faith in Chase Edmonds. I think if you could try to get a second round draft pick, rookie draft pick, like high second round, maybe low first round, you go ahead and do it. Um, last guy that I want to mention as a winner, there are other guys, but we're not going to talk about them today. Will Fuller. Now, this one is interesting because – I didn't expect Will Fuller to actually go to the Dolphins. He signed on a one-year deal, so there isn't too much security with him in Dynasty. But at the same time, the fit is honestly perfect. I think Tua is, as much as I don't think he's a great quarterback, is being slandered endlessly right now for being just this completely incapable guy. He's coming off of a major hip injury. There obviously is a potential pathway for him to be a really good quarterback in the NFL. Um, Will Fuller helps unlock that a little bit, and – Will Fuller is far and away the best receiver on this roster, like ridiculously talented compared to everybody else. It makes a lot of sense for Will Fuller to get 120, 130 targets, similar to the way he was getting in Houston. So obviously the quarterback play goes down, but you weren't expecting him to play with Deshaun Watson again anyways. Um, I think this is actually a good landing spot. I really like this. He is the number one target in this offense. He has the opportunity to showcase everything that he can do as a receiver, which is what we saw last year. He's a damn good receiver, and he can beat number one coverage. He can beat uh, bracketed coverage, whatever it may be. He can win in a ton of different ways, and he will help make this offense better, and this offense will give him the ball a lot. So I like Will Fuller. I mean, I think he's literally a top – would you say top 20 wide receiver now? I feel confident about him being a top 20 receiver. Uh, like you said, the fit with him and Tua Tagovailoa is very solid. Um, we know we we know that he likes to throw that deep hat ball, and uh, Will Fuller is very good at running under those balls. So uh, I don't think that they really had a speedster on the outside that they could trust. Um, I think that they have Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant on the team, but uh, both have been injury riddled. Both have been kind of inconsistent throughout the past couple of years. Uh, Will Fuller is a guy that you can definitely trust. Definitely a better route runner than both of them. Um, you know, he's going to miss, I think, the first game, maybe the first two games because of suspension. But, um, you know, when he's on the field, he's a difference maker regardless. So, um, yeah, I feel very good about Will Fuller going into this offense. I think that this is probably 
possibly the best fit for him outside of like some dream fits like uh, the Green Bay Packers, but we knew that they weren't going to pay for him. Um, but yeah, I, I feel very good about Will Fuller going into this into the season. I think that he can definitely surpass Devontae uh, Parker as the number one receiver in this offense. And, um, you know, constituting him as a, as a wide receiver too definitely demonstrates that. So I, I feel I feel very good about Will Fuller going into the season. I think that he's definitely a better fit than uh, Devontae Parker for what Tua Tagovailoa likes to do. Yeah, I like – it'll be interesting to see what they do at three. I think they'll probably trade down. But if they take a receiver, it still won't change the way I feel about Will Fuller. Um, maybe his long-term prospects in Miami. But I really like the fit. It makes a lot of sense. I don't think any receiver that they draft early will be a better receiver than Fuller, at least this season. So I'm all in on Will Fuller actually being a pretty viable fantasy option this season. Um, I do want to get to losers, and there are a lot of them. Um, who, in your opinion, would be the biggest loser from free agency? I think this is as obvious as anything. Um, it's definitely got to be Josh Jacobs. Like, I, I can't envision a more um what's the word just detrimental offseason to his fantasy value (laughs) like this is like absolutely terrible and it makes no sense from the Raiders from front office whatsoever you start out by cutting I think four out of your five offensive linemen they traded. They traded uh, Rodney Hudson. They're trying to trade oh, yeah. Gabe okay. Jackson. Like, their their all linemen are gone. Oh yeah, they're they're out of the picture. Um, they might have. They they got rid of Trent Brown. They got rid of him through trade to the Patriots. Um, Gabe Jackson, I think, was was deleted from the team. Richie Incognito was deleted from the team. Rodney, <laughs> you Hudson. say deleted from the team? Yeah. Um, <laughs> who who else were they missing? Who's their right tackle? Uh, right tackle, I think, is Colton Miller. I think he stayed, right? Yeah, he's like the one guy because he's under he's on his rookie contract. Oh, great. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, you, you get rid of anybody that's, like, making any kind of money on the Raiders front. And then after all of that, you go and get Kenyon Drake, pay him, like, a borderline running back one. Like, I think that he, he got paid in, like, the top 12 of running backs. Like, he got seven and a half million. Like that's, um, I think it's up to seven and a half, but guarantees in guarantees he got 11 million, which is five and a half a year. Um, that alone is a lot of guaranteed money for a running back who's like 20. Oh, yeah. For a guy that you're supposed to be trusting as your, your backup running back, like Mike Davis got, I think, two years, five and a half million to yep. be, possibly be the starter for Atlanta. So um, it just blows my mind what the Raiders are doing right now. And obviously, it does not look good for. Josh Jacobs's outlook. Um, obviously, the the runs aren't going to be as efficient because the offensive line isn't there, and now he's not going to get as many touches because Kenyon Drake is there as opposed to like Devontae Booker as their running their backup running back. So the twenty twenty one outlook for Josh Jacobs just looks horrendous at this point. Um, I really do not have any confidence in him at this moment in time. Hopefully, they add at least some offensive line through the draft. Um, maybe they're confident in the, the tackles that are available, but still, like, I'm baffled by uh, what the Raiders are, have done this offseason, and it just has zero benefit to Josh Jacobs. Yeah, the Raiders just look stupid, right? Like, you draft a running back in round one, 
you invest in him, you give him a good offensive line, he has a good rookie season. Year two, I mean, you have some COVID issues and whatnot. Your left tackle really isn't really playing in Trent Brown. He has a less efficient season, but he's still solid. And then year three, you just jump ship on your rookie running back, or not rookie running back, third-year running back, who has shown promise. He can be a number one running back in the NFL, but now you decide that it is good to double down on your investment at the running back position at the expense of other offensive linemen. I mean, Mike Mayock and John Gruden legitimately should be in the hot seat unless this season really pans out because they've whiffed a lot. I mean, uh, Cleland Farrell at fourth overall, he could end up being a good player. He's not worth the fourth overall pick. If you want to do that, just trade down. Um, Damon Arnett, 19th overall, could end up being a good player, but not worth the 19th overall pick, especially when he was supposed to get drafted in round three. Um, so once again, just go ahead and trade down. You drafted Damon Arnett over Justin Jefferson. You drafted Henry Ruggs over CeeDee Lamb, Judy, and Justin Jefferson. I mean, there's a lot of questionable decisions that this front office has made. And if they don't believe in Josh Jacobs, and you can factor Josh Jacobs into that as well. They had three first-round picks in one season, and I believe they ended up with Cleland Farrell. Uh, I'm forgetting one other player. And Josh Jacobs. Like, they're not they, they did not capitalize on the opportunity that they had with Khalil Mack trade to make a big impact. They they really did not, and it is really disappointing. Um, but yeah, Josh Jacobs, like where where does he get his fantasy value from now? Because right now he's an inefficient running back behind a bad offensive line who won't be catching passes in an offense that most likely will not be scoring a lot of touchdowns. So he sounds like Damian Harris from last year with a bad offensive line. That's disgusting. That's really gross to think about because, I mean, at least Damian Harris is getting most of the touches or at least getting – I think that he was getting workhorse touches throughout down the stretch. Yeah, he was getting like 15, 18 carries a game. Yeah. He just wasn't scoring touchdowns because Cam is Cam. Yeah, okay, so he was in a committee, granted. Okay, so he was more like Damian Harris because, I mean, he, he was kind of a committee, but um, – yeah, like that sucks. That really sucks for fantasy because, like, like what is Josh Jacobs' value right now? Is he a RB two? He's not an RB one. Is is he an RB two? Is he an RB three? I mean, he's a he's like right in the middle between RB two and RB three, and it's single handedly because of his talent. Like, I don't I don't think either of us are doubting his talent. Like, he's a very good player, and like we were very high on him because of the the, the talent that he had, and obviously the offensive line, but. Like, it sucks. It sucks for Josh Jacobs because, like, this could have been a, another a, a better year. But, um, yeah, the Raiders' front front office is just basically punting on the possibility of uh, a big Josh Jacobs year. So, it just sucks to see. Yeah, they've punted um, on pretty much everything they've done. I mean, they yeah. – like, I guess the Patriots have kind of done the same thing. But the Patriots – like solidified positions the the Raiders they just diluted their entire team like they had one strength and that was the offensive line and where has that gone like they they what do they have at this point it's Darren Waller yeah because like you have no faith in Henry Ruggs right now you have no faith in Brian Edwards um the defense is awful so oh jonathan abram's the other guy that they took in that first round and he hasn't panned oh, out yeah. oh yeah no he's 
he's had some really bad games, like really bad games. So, I mean, it's tough. Um, anyways, I, I do want to get to some other losers here. This one's quick, not too much of a loser, but obviously not a winner. DeAndre Swift, they signed Jamal Williams to be his backfield counterpart in Detroit. Uh, $3.5 million a year. I don't really know how much was guaranteed. I believe it's about $2.5 million guaranteed. Um, so nothing too crazy. It's not like they're overly committed to Jamal Williams, but Jamal Williams is a serviceable backup, and you don't really want that on a team where they're not going to be very good. So DeAndre Swift, he probably will still see 60% of the work, but there is the question, is Jamal Williams the pass catching back? Because he can kind of do a little bit of everything. Is Jamal Williams the red zone back? Do they use him as a bruiser? Um, his, DeAndre Swift's role is a bit more in question now. And not seeing a bell cow usage on a bad team, there is a pathway for DeAndre Swift to bust this season, which is very disappointing. But I don't really know if it'll happen. I still have, a, I have faith in the talent. So we'll see what ends up happening but DeAndre Swift probably more of a high RB2 than the RB1 that we were previously valuing him as um Tyler give me another running back that you think is a loser from this office it feels like a lot of the running backs or a lot of the losers are running backs but who's another loser for you I think uh one of the bigger ones uh granted he's a he's an older running back but um you know situation didn't get any better David Johnson um the infamous player that that came in return for for the DeAndre Hopkins to the, the Houston Texans, obviously his offense was likely going to get downgraded because of the, 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 the Sean Watson uh, requesting a trade. So whoever was going to come in as quarterback was likely going to be a downgrade. Um, it does not look like Deshaun Watson is going to be suiting up for the Texans this year, but uh, that's besides the point. Um, he restructured his contract to stay with the team I think that is a, it got restructured to a one-year, $6 million contract and uh, kind of felt like he was going to be the RB1 for the team. But, like, they went out and signed Mark Ingram, which uh, I believe that we talked about a little bit a couple yeah. weeks ago, um, made absolutely no sense. And then they go and sign Phil Lindsay, which, you know, it just – I mean, for the Texans, like, you, you have a, a three-man committee, which is – I guess it's cool, but um, – Two of those guys are 0 for 29, and the other is, I think, 27. Yeah, so, Philip Lindsay's not young. Yeah, um, he, he's definitely one of the older uh, third-year, fourth-year players. Has he been in the league three years? I think it's four for him now. He's going into oh. year four. Okay, yeah, because he was an undrafted free agent. Uh, he's going into year four, likely 27, 28. So you have the depth – the majority of your depth at running back is over 25, 26 which that in itself doesn't make any sense. And obviously David Johnson, you know, he wasn't fantastic last year, but he showed that he could still uh, give you some juice out of the backfield and still be a 15 to 16 touch guy. But um, it doesn't look like he's going to get anywhere close to that. Um, this looks like a full, full on committee between these three running backs. And I think it's just going to be ugly overall. Like there's, there's three guys that are there uh, over 26, two of them over 29 um, between Ingram and David Johnson. There's just a lot of tread on their tires. And um, it just doesn't make sense to me to have two out of your three running backs be two guys that are, that are that at, of that age and uh, 
have that much on their tire. So um, I really am confused by what the Texans did with the running back depth this offseason. Yeah. I mean, their team is just in shambles right now. I mean, when you have your superstar quarterback requesting a trade after you make several bad moves previous years, it makes sense why they're in shambles. I mean, they don't even have their number three overall pick, which could net them a franchise quarterback in return, maybe even get you like a Jamar Chase if you were the Texans, but you can't. So that's just kind of a pipe dream. Um, My only argument for David Johnson, because I agree with you, I think his outlook is definitely a lot worse now than it was a few weeks ago. My only outlook for David Johnson is they did not bring in a pass catching back. So at the very least, David Johnson will be the third down back. He will be a pass catching back, which is something we actually know he's good at. His best games last year came as a big time pass catcher for this offense. Um, I believe he had a game where he had 10 plus catches and 100 plus yards against the Indianapolis Colts. So the ability is there. I don't think the pass catching is something that he will kind of lose. Um, So that is pretty much his best chance this season. It is still definitely not pretty for David Johnson right now. His outlook is definitely worse. Um, That's pretty much it. I mean, there's not much to say with David Johnson. I do want to talk about a quarterback, though. Ryan Tannehill. I think he's a big-time loser from this offseason. He lost his offensive coordinator that made him look special because Ryan Tannehill over the last few years has truly looked special, at least in stretches. And... You know, he loses Corey Davis. He loses Johnny Smith. He's probably going to get another rookie wide receiver to go along with A.J. Brown. I mean, Tyler, how are you feeling about Ryan Tannehill, given everything we know about him this season? I mean, yeah, you said it. Like, they they lost their offensive coordinator that he had a lot of success with. Um, he lost Corey Davis as well. Lost Johnny Smith. Just, I mean, those, those were two of his three best weapons at, uh, as a passer. So, um looking at that and then, and then the offensive coordinator, it, you have to look at him as a loser. Um, you know, he still has the running ability. He's still going to demonstrate that every week. Um, I think that he's still a solid quarterback to draft. I just don't see him to have the, the same upside that he's had that I saw that I saw last season. Um, I don't know what he ended up finishing as maybe a QB one, but um, I remember down the stretch, he was doing very well. Um, it was him and Derrick Henry, but um, yeah, I just don't have as much confidence in him being a QB one this upcoming season because of the the situation, losing his offensive coordinator, losing his two best weapons, two of his best weapons. So um, that's what it comes down to. Uh, I think that Derrick Henry is still good. It's still going to be a Derrick Henry centric offense. And uh, yeah, like Derek, uh, Ryan Tannehill is going to pick up whatever, whatever's left of that, the play action. I'm not sure how much more play action they're going to run without Arthur Smith being the offensive coordinator. So um, there's just a lot of mystery with Ryan Tannehill. And um, I don't know if I want to sign up for that going into 2021. Yeah. I mean, Arthur Smith is really the reason why he was so great. They ran like the most efficient first down offense because it was play action all the time. And they kept defenses guessing made Ryan Tannehill's job really easy. And he, it brought out the best in Ryan Tannehill. So Maybe they run a similar offense, but if they don't, it, it like it could really bottom out for Antonio. He was not a good quarterback in Miami, and if he goes anywhere near what he was doing in Miami, then obviously he's going to lose a ton of value right now. So I personally would probably look to sell Tannehill based on the fact that the, the moves that have been made have been detrimental, but nothing too crazy. Maybe I would wait until the draft to see where they fully move, but 
I mean, I'm not too confident in Ryan Tannehill moving forward. Um, did we mention AJ Dillon yet, Tyler? Because I know we yeah. talked about Aaron Jones a little bit. Yeah, we talked about Aaron Jones. Have not mentioned AJ Dillon. Okay, so dive into as someone who way overdrafted AJ Dillon in a dynasty startup about a year ago. Uh, dive into where AJ Dillon's dynasty value stands. Yeah, I mean it's tough uh, owning AJ Dillon after overdrafting him, but you know I think that he's still going to have a role this year. Um, I think that he can definitely improve from last year. I think that we saw some strides from him uh, later on in the season. He definitely did not look very good when he had the opportunities to be the workhorse. Um, but with Jamal Williams out of the picture, it's really just the Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon show. And I think that they're going to entrust him to have some kind of uh, role with this team. So uh, as far as fantasy value, I can't really see him – See him outside of the top 25. Um, but, you know, those, uh, he's one of the most valuable handcuffs right now because if Aaron Jones is hurt, which I think, I'm not sure how many times he got hurt last year. I think he was out for at least three games. Uh, he's, he's an instant running back one, like for that, that week. So feel very good about that. But um, overall, like th- this was huge. Uh, AJ Dillon's a big loser because, like, a lot of us assumed that he would come into the 2021 season as the RB1 uh, with or at being an RB2 with RB1 upside because, like, he, he had multiple touchdown or double-digit touchdown upside in this offense. So uh, with Aaron Jones back, that kind of stifles the, the hell out of it. So, um, yeah, not feeling as good about, about A.J. Dillon at this point, but um, still very valuable handcuff. Yeah, I, there's – two things that have happened with AJ Dillon's dynasty value. And I think both can be true. AJ Dillon, or I guess three, AJ Dillon, one was incredibly overvalued going into this past off season, just because of the uncertainty. Um, two, AJ Dillon has now lost a ton of value because of Aaron Jones resigning and getting two years guaranteed and Aaron Jones being a far superior player to him. Um, I don't think AJ Dillon, by the way, is that great of a football player. Personally, uh, he's big, he's fast or he can get fast. He doesn't really accelerate super quick. Um, Like a Walmart Jonathan Taylor, I guess, if you want to consider it that. Um, Anyways, the third thing, I think A.J. Dillon at this point is now being undervalued in Dynasty again because of the reasons that you said. Like, he is probably the most valuable, one of the more valuable handcuffs because as much as I don't love his talent, he's definitely capable of being an RB1 for weeks, um, especially in this system where it literally plays to his strength. It's one cut and go and you're probably only going to see one linebacker. If you break that tackle, you're going to the house. Like, that is who A.J. Dillon can be in this offense. I see the vision as to why they drafted him. Would not have drafted him in the top two rounds, but, I mean, I I see where they were coming from. Um, So I think A.J. Dillon, if anything were to happen to Aaron Jones, is going to be an RB1, and even without him, I think he's going to be a flex. Like, you can see a pathway in which he has a lot of touchdown upside on a weekly basis just because of – they even used Jamal Williams in the red zone last year. I mean, it's a similar role. Um, A.J. Dillon probably going to see double-digit carries more often than not. And Aaron Jones has never been a workhorse. Like, Matt LaFleur doesn't like workhorses. This is going to be a 55-45 split in terms of snaps. And A.J. Dillon, I mean, if he's able to be versatile in the passing game the same way Jamal Williams was, then you're looking at a guy that could be playable in some weeks. I mean, he definitely could end up becoming better than Jamal Williams. I don't know if he is right now. Um 
So yeah, I think AJ Dillon is actually being undervalued in Dynasty. Obviously, the upside is dependent upon injury, which you don't love. But relative to where he's probably going to be going in drafts, um, I'm not opposed to investing in AJ Dillon at this point. Like you're getting a severe discount. So if you were on him before and you like his talent, you should be on him now. Um, I don't even love his talent. I might be on him now. So that's just my take on AJ Dillon. He obviously lost value, but I don't think it's the end of the world for him. Um, I want to talk about JK Dobbins before we get to your guys at the end, Tyler. Um, JK Dobbins, not too much to say here. Uh, just that his role is going to be in a three-man committee with Lamar Jackson and Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards is staying in Baltimore unless someone signs that second-round tender for him and gives him an offer that Baltimore will not match. Um, so J.K. Dobbins, he's going to be good. Like, l- let me preface this with that. I think he's still going to be an RB2, but it is going to be very, very inconsistent. It is going to be very frustrating owning him in fantasy. Um, the hope is that he becomes more of a pass catching back, but they didn't really use him in that capacity because they never have used running backs in that capacity with Lamar Jackson and JK Dobbins is going to be limited a lot. So there's going to need to be a lot of different things that go his way. He's ridiculously talented. So he can overcome those issues, but it is actually a, it is a legitimate problem that JK Dobbins could have touchdowns taken away by two different guys could have garbage time carries taken away by two different guys and could ultimately have yardage and fantasy points taken away by two different guys who are both really talented in their own respects. Um, So just temper expectations on J.K. Dobbins. I think J.K. Dobbins was overvalued in Dynasty before. Maybe now he's appropriately valued because Gus Edwards is there. Um, Maybe it's a one-year thing, but there always is a chance that Gus Edwards stays. He's young. He's good. He's a big back. He's the perfect complement to J.K. Dobbins and Lamar Jackson. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it on J.K. Dobbins. Tyler, your Steelers ended up re-signing Juju Smith-Schuster. So now it's pretty much wide receiver by committee again. Walk me through the pecking order for you, in your opinion, uh, between Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, and Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah, I'm still feeling pretty good about Deontay Johnson uh, with or without Juju Smith-Schuster. He's still going to have the same role in this offense. Um, I think that we saw him have... 140 targets in an injury riddled season. So um, Deontay's still a guy that you can look at as drafting as a wide receiver three, but to feel confident in as a wide receiver two moving forward. Um, the biggest hit to Juju Smith-Schuster returning is one Juju Smith-Schuster because he's just not going to be uh, as utilized as he would have in other on other teams, uh, but also Chase Claypool. I think that having Juju Smith-Schuster leave would have opened up an opportunity for him to kind of solidify his, his share in the, in the offense. And with Juju coming back, like there, it's still a mystery. Like it's still uh, uncertain who's number two in that pecking order in the offense. So um, that definitely remains to be seen. Uh, I think that Claypool is a superior talent by far. Uh, Hopefully this season, uh, Roethlisberger uses the the play action and uh, uses his deep threat more often because Claypool can make some very big plays when he's, when he's put downfield. So, um, I mean, as a talent, I still feel very good about Chase Claypool, but his, his ceiling is definitely capped with Juju being there. And um, yeah, that's what it comes down to. Like he's just, his ceiling is, is, uh, is definitely capped with, with Juju being there. So um, I, I, I don't think that they help each other with their fantasy value, but um, they make cool TikToks 
uh, allegedly. So um, I guess that's cool. So yeah, There's- I'm I'm frustrated with the Pittsburgh receiver situation to say the least. Um, because I, I really wanted to see Deontay Johnson get that same role and see Chase Claypool expand his game. And it looks like he's going to be pigeonholed into this run after catch or deep threat guy, maybe not a full complete route tree, which is what you want to see from a guy that you are investing in as if he was going to be a potential wide receiver one in fantasy. Um, so I think there is a big issue with Juju resigning here because one last year that I get, I believe they had a ton of volume again. I mean, there was games where Ben was throwing the ball like 45 plus times and it was enough volume for everybody to eat. Like they were losing some games, whatever. Um, the run game is still in absolute shambles right now. The offensive line is not good. I believe there's a few free agents for the offensive line. Um, like I do not have trust that big Ben will have enough time to throw deep to a chase Claypool. So I think Deontay Johnson is the safest bet. Juju Smith-Schuster is also a guy that should see a lot of volume. And Chase Claypool, for me, is probably third in the pecking order. He's more talented than Juju, but I just don't see the consistent usage because Ben does not want to get hit. Ben also does not throw the ball deep very much, and Ben has a bad offensive line. So those three things like really play into the fact that Chase Claypool could struggle. So if if the Steelers really just knock it out of the park and draft like three offensive linemen with their first three picks in the draft, then sure, we can have a conversation about Chase Claypool. But until the offensive line is serviceable, um, which I don't think it will be, I am pretty much out on uh, Chase Claypool. And even then, the only receiver that I want in Pittsburgh is going to be Deontay Johnson, just because I think he's the best receiver. Um, Obviously, the drops were a problem. But if if he fixes those drops... Deontay Johnson is looking at 160 target season last year. Um, can't really ask for much more than that. So, I mean, I, I don't think Deontay's affected too much. Like you said, I think Claypool definitely has his ceiling capped. And Juju, like, I mean, at this point, I feel like this almost is what he is. Like, he's going to be a second or third option in an offense who can have some good games if he gets a lot of volume, but he's not going to be this crazy efficient anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much it. Any other guys that you want to mention today? Um, still waiting on a few more dominoes to fall. And then it's pretty much draft season after that. I mean, we're about one month away from the draft. So we're definitely going to keep diving into this draft content, maybe get a few guests. And that's going to be it. Thank you guys for listening. That wraps up today's pod. If you don't follow us already, make sure to follow us on Instagram at First Take Fantasy. We're posting rookie spotlights, coaching impacts, tons of dynasty content, and even posts like these winners and losers from free agency today.